This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host here for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, along with my Instagram live. And uh, so anything you want to talk about, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're going to have some fun and maybe learn something. Maybe. Hope oh, hope we learn something. Anyway, get a hold of me, 877-385-8882. Once again, toll-free, 877-385-8882. You can also join me here live on Pet Life Radio, you just go on to Pet Life Radio and you click on shows and you can just join us here. There's a Zoom link left for you by Mark, our producer, and you can join me live here on Instagram. You're already live. Uh, just anything you want to talk, just type it in. Make sure your audio is on. Make sure your video is on and we can see you here live on Pet Life Radio. And that's kind of what we want to do. And of course, we have some questions and we will, yes, uh, for uh, George, yes, we're still, it is still being shipped. I think they're going to wait till they finish all their inventory. Um, but I will tell you that I will find out over the next day or two, and I will get back to you. So um, hang in there. We will check that out for you. Just asking about my optimum food, my freeze-dried raw diet. It goes through HPP, high-pressure pasteurization. It is freeze-dried. So a couple of things. I like to peruse the news, see what's going on. Hello, Bethany. And um, for you, Beth, happy Mother's Day to your many pets. <laughs> so this study that says dog genes suggest very little about predicting behavior. And I thought that's amazing. Actually, of only just 9% of differences in behavior and sociability, all right, is experienced through genes. That means 92% is not necessarily genes. So, which explains why you can have not only littermates, but actually twins, meaning two puppies that came out of the same sack, right? So they're like identical twins in people. And though they'll be genetically similar, behaviorally, they may not be because only about 9% of what we see behaviorally actually is coming from genetics. So now, you know, it's basically modern dog breeds. They, what happened was through breeding over the years and domestication, they were looking more at physical attributes as opposed to the mental and, and emotional attributes, so which would include behavior. So that's why at this point, you can have two purebred Labrador retrievers, and I've been had labs for over 40 years and um, almost 50 years, and they are all so different. And uh, so it's not necessarily what's just in the gene pool that makes a difference. As a matter of fact, a very small amount has to do with genetics. This was also interesting and sad at the same time for me, who has Frenchies. So the breeds with the longest life expectancy, and this is an average. Now, you're going to hear this and you go, well, come on, that's crazy. My dog lived to so-and-so, and I, including me. But on average, Jack Russell Terriers have the longest lifespan, average of 13 years, and the lowest, which only four and a half years, is Frenchies, French Bulldogs. Now, I've had Frenchies. I have Frenchie now. My son has Frenchies. My son's oldest Frenchie is 12. Um, my last one went to 14. So, you know, I hear this four and a half years and I'm thinking, ah, oh, really? But again, this is an average. So uh, it's surprising because typically I would think that on average, we'd be looking at one of our giant breeds 
because we know they don't last as long. You know, whether it's a new fee or a Great Pyrenees or one of the huge Mastiffs or a Great Dane. I mean, they're eight, nine years. So um, I found this interesting. And again, I don't know what criteria, I don't know what else they looked at or, or did they, they should, what they should have done is ruled out some weird like accidents, anything accidental that, you know, hit by car should have been taken out of the study. It should have been just pure aging and disease. And uh, so anyway, I just thought that was uh, a little crazy. So next up, rattlesnake warnings. I'm just going to throw them at you again and again, because now we're seeing, in fact, on TikTok, I saw one, the dog's face, it was huge, was bitten on the face, you know, because dogs are very inquisitive and they see this thing moving. They're going to go right up to it and they're going to want to try to, you know, take a little thing. And um, so anyway, I think that uh, just to be really careful. So here are my recommendations. First of all, make sure when you hike this time of year, you should have your dog on a leash. So you have control because what happens is if they take off away from you, that's when they get into trouble. Secondly, make sure your dogs have rattlesnake vaccines. The rattlesnake vaccine is not going to be 100% protective. It, it's what it's going to do. It's going to slow things down, but you still need to know. And this is the third thing you make it wherever you're going to go before you go to this re area, the hiking, the canyon, where it is, make sure that you know the closest veterinary facility that is A, open, and B, has the anti-venin for rattlesnakes. That is really, really important because you don't have time to just start searching after the fact. So the vaccine will help slow things down. It will buy you time. It is highly recommended if your dog will have access to or potential exposure to a rattlesnake or any venomous snake. But more importantly, it's the anti-venin. So you should identify what's the closest hospital to where you are going to be that is going to have the anti-venin. And that is really, really important. Now, this one I thought was great. Here is something I found very interesting. And this is the second of this type of test that I think is fantastic. And that is, it's a blood test called the Onco Canine. And basically, it might be able to detect early, at least 55% of cancers can be detected early with this test. And on the most aggressive cancers, now it didn't have it in it, but I would tell you from my experience, things like hemangiosarcoma, mast cell tumor, and certain carcinomas, 85% of the three most aggressive ones, all right, could be detected early before you have any signs. Now, a warning, this could be kind of a scary thing to know, because if you can't determine the location of where this cancer is, or you have it in, in the genes, but it hasn't started to create a problem yet, then it is scary that you may not, sometimes it's TMI, a little too much information, because you're going to can't do anything about it other than know that if your, your dog is a walking time bomb. So, um, but the way I like it is that because some of these cancers are hard to find, and you don't just look, you don't just put, bring a dog in for ultrasound every couple of months just for the hell of it, right? Unless there's a problem. Now, if the dog had a GI problem, you know it. If the dog had, you know, something else going on, you know it. But if it's a, an undetectable cancer at this point, but this oncocanine canine test finds it, then you know that now you need to be a much more proactive when it comes to trying to identify where this particular cancer might be. Because if it is, some of these, if you get them really early, it could buy you a lot of time. So anyway, FYI. Uh, but anyway, it's called the Onco Canine. Talk to veterinarian about it. I'm going to um, order it myself at my hospital. I think it's a great thing to have. So uh, anyway, and... This is also really sad. I saw this actually in two different sources, which well really means it's it's true. I mean, I think it's true anyway with the sources I use, but it's something that, and just to know that in Alaska's North Slope, 
So any veterinarians, and if you know anybody who's graduating veterinary school, listen to this. They have no practicing veterinarians. The only vet who was practicing has left the area and the public health agency up there because they, they do both things. And there has yet to be a replacement. And that's the sad part. Now, what does that mean? That's just spending. X-rays, surgeries, like even spay-neuter, vaccines. The nearest vet would be hundreds of miles away. Now we're talking in Alaska now. So obviously, now that we can envision certain problems with overpopulation, no one's going to be spaying and neutering. These dogs are, a lot of them are, are not like here where they're sitting just in a backyard. They're running around and, and they're enjoying life in the cold. Just something to know that if you should have any friends, family, anybody that might have a budding veterinarian, that would be something to keep a mind on. This is also, surprise, surprise, how does this one? So a very nice family found a stray puppy and no ID. They took it, they took it in and they decided, well, they're going to keep the puppy. Well, as friends started seeing this puppy, they said, this is not a puppy. It was a coyote. They took in a little puppy, a coyote pup. And um, once they found out that it was not a puppy, not a good thing to keep a coyote. It has not been domesticated. Could be a problem. And uh, especially with other animals in the house and maybe even young kids. So they took it to the, their local, um, this happened in Massachusetts. It was given up to a wildlife center in Massachusetts where they are going to house it, care for it, and then ultimately release it. They have other coyotes there too. So they'll kind of keep it instead of a domesticated dog pup, which it, it is. Also, this was an interesting story. And the reason why it's interesting is because friends of mine just got one of these. And this, these is a bearded dragon. And they're really cute and they really do make fun, great pets. And uh, they also have a gecko. So they're sort of getting moving into, they have a, a, an apartment, they don't have any dogs. And this was a great, it is, they're, they're great pets for small places. They're fairly easy to take care of, though you have to do your homework and, and learn what you need to buy. But they got a, a, just got a bearded dragon, which is great. But this is the only warning I will give to all of you that are thinking about either have bearded dragons, you may already know this, or are planning on getting a bearded dragon because they do make, they're, they're really cool pets. And that is, they, in bearded dragon, salmonella is a normal part of their gut microbiome. So that means it's normal for them to have salmonella and that salmonella is shed in the feces. So here's the scary part. In human salmonellosis cases, say that 10 times fast, salmonellosis, cases have been linked to reptiles and about a third of the cases who have contracted salmonella from contact with bearded dragons end up needing to be hospitalized. So that cute little thing is great to have, but just know that if you're not careful with them and how to handle them, et cetera, et cetera, it could turn out to be dangerous. So good hygiene is the answer. Make sure you wash your hands well after touching them, especially food. So when you have their enclosures, the terrariums, make sure that you are keeping everything as clean as possible. Anyway, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to uh, do some more uh, talking, talk about some summer issues and anything else you want to talk about. If you have any questions, now's the time to ask them. And when we come back, I will chat with you and answer your questions. We'll consider them like my AMAs that I do every week. As a matter of fact, I have four more that I'm going to do today. So anyway, we'll be right back after these short messages. See you Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. 
With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> And welcome back. We're here live with Dr. Jeff. We're here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And during the break, I got some really, really good questions from my Instagram audience, my friends. So this was, uh, I have a nine-year-old boxer on a fully raw diet. What do I think? So it's a great segue considering we just talked about salmonellas, salmonellosis, salmonella infection, and we get this from raw diet. So I have no problem with raw, but I have problem with raw where there's no processing that takes place to destroy the bad bacteria. We have Salmonella, Campylobacter, Listeria, and E. coli. Those are the big four. And interestingly, when I report on food recalls, I'd say the vast majority of them are going to be because they are raw diets that have, are, that have not used one of these processes to destroy what we call the bad bacteria. So what do I like? So I, I mean, there are two typical manufacturing processes that will destroy the bacteria. One is called HPP, high pressure pasteurization. So they pasteurize, which is killing off bacteria. Typically, when you have something that's pasteurized, like your milk, your orange juice, it is pasteurized via heat. All right. Whereas with pressure, high pressure pasteurization, it kills off bacteria through high pressure. So it doesn't use heat, which can destroy a lot of the nutrients. A lot of foods that are heated, then the nutrients, because of the, the nutrients are being destroyed, then they manufacture, they put them back in manually to rebalance the nutrients that were destroyed during the, the heat processing. So with high pressure, you don't have to worry about that. The second thing is freeze-dried. And freeze-dried again, when you freeze-dried, it's using obviously intense, intense freezing, quick freezing, like sometimes they call it flash freezing. And that's another technique that can destroy the bad bacteria. There's some brands out there that do it. Optimum, uh, the brand that I am working with, we do both. We do freeze-dried and HPP. So, so when it comes to raw, I mean, look, I like sushi. I eat sushi that's 100% raw. But if you notice, you're not going to just go buy a slab of tuna, right, in a store and say, oh, I'm going to have make myself some spicy tuna or, or, or you're going to eat it raw. But what you look for is sushi-grade raw. So again, there are some issues and some manufacturing in sushi-grade fish that either prevents or somehow destroyed all the bad bacteria. So in that sense, it's very similar. My personal preference is to avoid just raw, unless you know that some process has gone into the manufacturing of that raw diet, in which case it's probably good. Now, a lot of these raw foods are frozen, and then you're thawing them out. That could be okay, because the freezing should destroy a lot of those bacteria. Now, is it okay for your dog to share water at a park? And again, the reason why I show some hesitation is that one of the most common bacteria that I've seen shared or spread at dog parks is not really a, it's a parasite, actually, Giardia. And it's, it's a bacterium and flagellated bacterium. And I see Giardia often. And when I see it, I'm seeing it 
in animals that oftentimes go to dog park. And what do they share at dog park? They share the water. Now, I've taken my dogs to Runyon Canyon. I've taken them to dog park. You got these big bowls sitting there. And just look at the water. Would you drink that water? I wouldn't drink that water. And it's not like I'm afraid of getting licked in the face because I get licked in the face by hundreds of animals, dogs. I mean, daily. But it's that water sitting there and sitting there and the dogs are coming in there. Who knows what else is going in? Who knows what butt they licked just before that? I know it's the same argument. Well, Jeff, how come you let them lick your face? But I, the way I look at it for me is that by getting that low grade of, I'm sure, all sorts of things, Every day, I have a hell of an immune system because I know that people have you know, like a 10-second rule, a three-second rule. For me, it's about a four-day rule. If that m is on the floor, I don't care. I'm wiping it off and it's going to my mouth. So, you know, but, but that water sitting in a door, sitting, and also one more thing, it's oftentimes it's hot. So not only is it just sitting there, it's sitting there and it's now warm. You know, it's pretty gross. So there are a lot of parks have this running water that's continually refilling the bowl. It's overflowing. All the bad water is going out. The good water is coming in. That I'm more okay with, but just when the water bowl has been sitting there for who knows how long, it's not being changed. I would just be careful. My recommendation is bring a thermos, something with your own water, or you know, a lot of these parks have water. Just take it, teach your dog how to drink from the faucet, turn it on, and, and let them drink. I think it's a, a lot safer that way, and that's what I would do. So it's from a store, and it's called Small Batch, and it's frozen before you serve. That's all right. As I was saying. That makes me feel a little better. And as far as the um, the water bowl, I know you're resistant. I'm resistant too. But yes, the dogs just run over. They get thirsty. So what you can do, as I said, bring some water with you. And you know, my dogs will drink right out of a faucet. In fact, there's something called Lixit, which is a little device. This is really cool, actually, because even at home, if you have a big water bowl and it just sits there much of the day, you, you don't know what's going in there. But Lixit, it's an attachment. It goes onto the spigot. Turn your water on, and it's almost like a one of those little hamster things with a little tube with a little ball at the end, the ball bearing. So the ball bearing stops the water, but when they lick it, it pushes the ball bearing out of the way, and the water comes down. Same principle. It's a little post down the center of the Lixit, and when they lick it moves the post back and forth. And when the post moves back and forth, the water comes. So they're getting fresh water whenever they want it. And um, I think that's that would be the uh, the best solution. And also, as I said, I use the it in my house because I think it's great. How often do you want to see dogs for a well visit? And it's a good question also. That really depends on many factors. If the dog is young to middle age and very healthy, even though a lot of the vaccines now have gone to three years and longer, and I like to do titers, and that was a big concern in the veterinary world when they started coming up with new dates for the vaccines, because people said, oh my God, like a cat, you have an indoor cat, it needs this FERCP, the only vaccine, in my opinion, it needs, unless you live in a state that where rabies is required for cats, not required in California. Am I a fan of giving leukemia vaccine to an indoor-only cat? No, I have five. They don't get leukemia vaccine. They don't get rabies vaccine. It's not required in California. And, and my feeling is with the potential dangers of vaccine, and especially with cats, where they can end up getting feline vaccine-induced sarcoma, which is a tumor from a vaccine, why give it? If the risk of the disease is zilch, I mean, you're not going to get it. Indoor cats, they're not going to be exposed to leukemia. They're not going to get bitten by a rabid animal. So why give a vaccine for that? So the, the fear was when FERCP went from one year to three year, and it's probably honestly be better longer than that, is our pet parents going to still come in for their annual health exam. So I still recommend annually. Now, 
Let's take an animal who is over seven and now is approaching what we call senior status. Do I want to see them only once a year? Heck no. In fact, some of them, someone mentioned Yorkies. Yorkies live a good long life, 15, 16, 17. So I had one the other day that was pushing 20. So is every year, five years, that means you're going to wait, what, who knows how long? No. So you want to see these dogs much more frequently. I'd say twice a year and not only for a health check, but even some of them, especially once we start seeing some sort of abnormalities in the blood, we're going to want to see them twice a year or more to monitor those levels, whether it's kidney, whether it's liver, whether it's pancreas, what is going on with these animals. So we go then from, we go from once a year to twice a year and sometimes even more. So anyway, that's kind of how I feel. All right. So anyway, that's all we have time for today. Those of you here on Pet Life Radio and on Instagram, if you have any questions during the week, send them either to me directly, send them just to Pet Life Radio. They'll get forwarded to me and we'll discuss them here on the show, on Instagram and on Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff, PetLifeRadio.com. So go ahead. Um, you can also reach me, Jeff, at AirVet.com a million ways. What is oh, a healthy teething toy for dogs? So the answer is uh, there are many. You look for something interesting. We had actually Dr. Bellows on, oh, about a month and a half ago. And he was, even things that I liked, like the hard nylon bones, he, again, he's a veterinary dentist, says to all he sees are animals and their teeth. So he sees a lot more of these cases than I do. I have not had problems with my own dogs, but even things as hard as nylon bones, he says teeth can crack, but you want to avoid the hard bones. Hard bones, dogs can actually break teeth and cause problems. Chewing is important. Chewing is very important for actually develop mental development, even not just oral hygiene and oral development, but even mental. It's part of their maturation process. And so chewing is really important. So even if it's a raw bone, anything that is really hard knuckle bones. And the problem with softer bones, like poultry bones, is that those are too soft and they can shatter, they can splinter, they get sharp edges, and that can cause a problem going down the esophagus. So exactly why, if a, a dog gets a hold or a cat eats a chicken bone and you know they've eaten it, do not make them vomit. Because if it got into the stomach, once it gets in the stomach, it's going to, the stomach digestive juices will round off the edges. It'll get entangled in other food and it will probably pass easily. But if you make them vomit and one of those sharp edges tears the esophagus, intestinal surgery, stomach surgery is way easier and less dangerous than esophageal surgery. We do not want to have to cut into the neck and get a hold of the esophagus. So do not make them vomit anything that's super sharp. So anyway, there was a question about what is AirVet. AirVet is our telemedicine platform. It's an app downloaded either on Google Play or Android or on Apple. You can get it just at the App Store. And it is nationwide telemedicine. You'll have 24-7 availability to talk to a veterinarian in the case of a question or a problem your pet is having, or when you think, do you have to go to emergency or not? So um, it's great. And uh, we try to help people and save them a lot of money. Emergency centers are very, very, very expensive. I've done over 3,000 virtual visits and maybe less than 100 really needed to go to emergency. So when you go on to your uh, after hours message from your hospital and they say, hi, if you have an emergency, go to so and so emergency clinic, your chance of really needing to go to that clinic are very slight. And now you're going to wait for hours and spend a lot of money. So telemedicine is the answer. For those of you who have used telemedicine for yourselves, you know what I mean. Anyway, thanks for joining me here. So sorry at the beginning of the show, having technical difficulties. Hopefully in the future, we will be able to avoid that once I get a little smarter on how to work with this, which uh, which might take a while. But uh, anyway, we're uh, here 
next week, same bad time, same bad channel. Would love any questions that you may have. Now's the time to get me either Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com or leave them here on Instagram. Other than that, have a great week. Happy Mother's Day again to all of you mothers or to your mothers. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.